Attention, please. Eastern Airlines Flight 19, now ready for departure. Welcome aboard the Walt Disney World Express Monorail. Now, ladies and gentlemen, we're entering the vacation kingdom of the world. There's enough land here to hold all of the ideas and plans we could possibly imagine. We call it Epcot. Will be our experimental prototype city of tomorrow. Welcome to another episode of the Retro Disney World Podcast. Taking you back to the vacation kingdom of the world, the way it was, and the way it is in your memories. All right. Welcome back, everyone. This is the official episode number one of the Retro Disney World podcast. Um, Tonight, our our episode is called Planning for Tomorrow, and we're going to be diving into all sorts of goodies all about Tomorrowland, its design, in the early years in the uh, space race era, if you will, with rockets and all sorts of good stuff. But before we get to that, I want to welcome the crew. Uh, How, JT, Brian, welcome aboard for the night. How are you guys doing tonight? Doing good. How are you? Good to be back. Good, good. These intros should be a little shorter than last time, right? (laughs) Of course. (laughs) I don't know if we bored any listeners last time. Most assuredly. Exactly. How, How are you doing tonight? You good? Doing good. All right. So... We're going to get right into it this time around. Um, We do have some corrections and comments from the last episode that I know some people had emailed us on and and had some questions. One thing is uh, we thank you for for listening and and thank you for all the uh, feedback you gave to us. It's been great. And uh, one thing we did want to let you guys know is we do apologize for the pops and sounds and clicks that the last uh, uh, podcast had. We, We did uh, use a different recording method. Now we're trying uh, two different types of methods to see a way we can get that audio out to you a little better and a little clearer. So hopefully this sounds better to you. And if it if it doesn't, uh, please let us know. Uh, another update from last week is uh, Brian touched on Roy's cabin, which Brian, that's kind of become one of your little favorite things to bring up. I think <laughs> every episode, every episode, we're gonna uh, interject Roy's cabin in there at least once. Um, how has been doing some research. Brian's been doing some research. I uncovered some things, and um, we, we do have actual documentation from Disney uh, admitting that there was a fishing lodge on property, and we've got some aerial photography coming. So that's going to be a another uh, podcast. But um, the, the the fable of of Roy's cabin, there is a bit of <laughs> a bit of truth to it that we're we've uncovered, and we're going to discuss that. Um, a correction from last week too. I have to apologize. I pronounced. Tom Maliazzi's name incorrectly uh, regarding the upcoming when we're talking about the audio puzzler. So apologize, apologies to that. And um, two other last items. Uh, we had touched base on Kodak film pricing. Now, Brian, you went out, you know, you said, ah, oh, Todd, you said it was about $10, $12, something like that. You went out and you, you did a little bit of research on the, uh, on the pricing, correct? Uh, yeah, we were just in talking about uh, the fact that it was an expensive thing to take a three-minute film, right? Uh, which is why uh, the content of them sometimes is is very quick, short bursts of things instead of what we're used to with video and digital uh, stuff uh, being, you know, people's dinner, right? And how long <laughs> their food took to steam, etc. Uh, so we had gone back and taken a look at uh, what some of the some of the things were in today's dollars, right? And what it came back as is 
most of the uh, film, uh, whether it's silent or resound, the silent stuff was around sixteen or seventeen dollars uh, for a three-minute reel. And that's in today today's dollars. That's in today's yeah, dollars. Today, that's because okay. you know you hear like, oh, back then it was six dollars. Oh, that's not a big that's not deal. Bad, well, yeah. <laughs> no, in today's just dollars, for inflation. Was, yeah, just yes. for inflation all the time. <laughs> that's I'm, right. I tell you, I refer to the inflation calculator on the internet at least once a week to put something into perspective. But, there we go. Uh, and then the film with sound again, another three-minute reel was about twenty-five dollars. Yeah, uh, which it's a fair amount of money for. Three minutes of film, right? So nine thirty-five back then, including um, uh, processing, which you had to send away and wait for. So yeah, if you think about that, twenty-five bucks for three minutes. Now you, you got what a sixty-four gig card you throw in your camera, right? And yeah. e- and even in the eighties, I mean, a blank video cassette might have been nine ninety-five, and you right. had two hours of, of video recording. Oh, well, that's if you use the, 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 the best motive. You could you yeah. could squeak eight out of it, but it didn't look good. <laughs> but <laughs> your battery long didn't play. last that long. <laughs> yeah, ELP, right. that's right. Um, the other item that, Brian, you, you also brought up uh, last time was the, the Lifetime Pass, and um, we're going to do some research yeah, on that. But... We've picked up some bits and pieces, uh, a lot of it anecdotal so far, because we haven't gotten stuff in writing. Uh, but what we have picked up in bits and pieces, it appears that uh, it was offered like the Black American Express card. You had to be selected <laughs> for it. It wasn't something you could apply for. Really? Um, so they, they somehow people were selected. Uh, the anecdotal stuff we've read uh, is, you know, $500,000 at the time. Now, remember, Mission to the Parks was $6. So. Right, right. <laughs> yeah. I mean, people paying 500 or or $1,000 in the early 70s. Um, See, you know, it'd be like somebody. I'm not going to do the inflation. Yeah, you don't inflation know. Inflation calculator. It's a lot of money. You could do that for next uh, next podcast yes. corrections. And so, comments. so eventually we'll find uh, our white whale and and Perfect. discover some firsthand information of someone who either purchased one, uh, or or someone who at least has some information about owning one. There we go. Oh. So, all right. Well, you can get on that, and Hal and I will get on the Roy's cabin and. Uh, if anybody has any questions on Kodak film processing from the 80s, uh, let us know. And uh, just so you know, those prices were from 1981, I should have put in there. So, all right, well, enough with the catch-up banter, uh, so to speak. Um, how is going to really going to kind of highlight here this next uh, next segment? So our main topic for this week, again, uh, sorry, for this month, we call it Planning for Tomorrow. Um, how you have been from your Twitter feed, you've been basically digging through things, I think, for, for a week or two now. Uh, you've got all sorts of awesome photos, your own personal little model of Tomorrowland that you made, I saw today. Uh, I can't wait to hear what you've got. I've got my stack of little notes here and things I'd like to comment on, but uh, let's let's turn it back, uh, all the way back to when Tomorrowland was in a, a you know, a, a state of questionable <laughs> design, yeah. so to speak, right? What, what did we, what what was what was it going to be from the beginning? So let's let's take a, like a quick round robin. So Brian, what is your quintessential Tomorrowland attraction? Oh, uh, it would have to be for me, Carousel of Progress. Okay, JT, Space Mountain, Todd, People Mover, man, People Mover. All right, mm, so that's... wild guess, how many of those were running on opening day? I know None. <laughs> I was going to say, Zero. I know the answer. Zero, yes. Yeah. So opening day, there were literally two attractions in Tomorrowland. The 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 uh, the Grand Prix Raceway and the Skyway from Fantasyland. Um, everything else was still like under construction. So 
one of the questions that you ha- that I always had is like, well, how did it get that way? Because if you figure that Disneyland's Tomorrowland redo opened in '67, it should be a slam dunk. They they've done Tomorrowland. It should be very easy to just jump in and do a brand new Tomorrowland and copy and paste it in Walt Disney World. But that absolutely didn't happen. And if you look back at blueprints between 68 and 71 things are constantly shifting back and forth where there's holiday land and if you remember anything about old disneyland you know what holiday land was like do you guys have a vague recollection of what that so holiday land was this piece this parcel that was next to disneyland that they had that they didn't have anything to do with so they just kind of threw some playgrounds and stuff in there and, <laughs> and had some corporate events in that space so Holiday Land shows up on the blueprints because they obviously haven't figured out what's going on. You see that wacky Space Mountain that oh, the, the, with the the towering. Yeah, like the, I said I think I called it like it was like a circus tent or something like that. Yeah, with a circus tent with rockets. So right. <laughs> you see that come on the plan. You see that change slightly on the plan. You see an Autopia instead of the Grand Prix. Right, with the, and then with all the of a sudden, actual split, right? The the, the roads were going to split rather. Yeah, you saw a clover leaf with then like a long snake, and in some of the renderings, you see some uh, you see some waterfalls and things going on over I, there. I, so I, I always feel we kind of got slighted on on the Autopia in, in Tomorrowland in, in well, Disney World. I kind of have a conspiracy theory, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I haven't seen this laid out yet. So if anybody has actually read anything solid about this, you know, please contact us because at this point I'm in the world of conjecture. Um, (laughs) But as we talked about a little bit last week, you know, a lot of this was all reliant on uh, sponsorship. So most of the Magic Kingdom, except for Tomorrowland, was pretty much already covered. But once you got to sponsors in Tomorrowland, I think think people came in and out. And as that happened, we see these attractions come on and come off. So for example, um, Flight to the Moon was never supposed to be there. If you go back to the to the early plans, um, they had purchased all the computers at Walt Disney World from the RCA Corporation, which you'd say, well, RCA made computers? Well, they did. They were actually just like IBM. They are one of the largest manufacturers of like mainframe computers at that time. So um, they had an option to do an attraction there. And there was one that John Hench kept pitching called Alice in Computerland, which depending on how you read it, um, might have been attached to Space Mountain at one point, but I've actually seen plans where uh, in place of the um, the two Flight to the Moon theaters, there was a thing called Computerama, which according to an article I read with Marty Sklar, they were going to try to use that same sort of theater setup with the screen on the top and the screen on the bottom and mm-hmm. then the screens on the two sides and then take you into like an intriguing journey into the microscopic <laughs> world of the computer. Ooh. So Sounds it was like kind Tron. of Tron before Tron. Right, right, right. Um, and I guess the issue with that is uh, RCA just kind of really wasn't interested, but the chairman saw the renderings of Space Mountain and said, ooh, I want that. So <laughs> They wanted what was going to be a two hundred. the original plans of 200 feet tall. Right. It would have and, dwarfed Cinderella's castle. And that itself has a really weird backstory because... That ride started out as something in Disneyland, and mm-hmm. uh, in in order to get the capacity they wanted, uh, allegedly they had started with an eight-track plan with a single car, which then got budgeted down to a four-track plan, which they actually um, were going to contract that Aero company that did the Matterhorn and a bunch of the other Disneyland rides. So they actually have a full-blown model of that, and then Disney was just going to figure out how to cap the thing off with like the crazy circus tent stuff. And it 
kind of got canceled for Disneyland as Walt Disney World was coming online. Um, so then they planned to premiere it at Walt Disney World, but budgets got cut back. And my assumption is the the RCA budget was not as big as they would have needed. And at the same time, there were some uh, some problems with some of the, the ride mechanisms that Aero Development wanted to work. So they wanted to move to just a gravity-only fed system. And they figured, well, we'll just, you know, put more people in cars. So then they took it down to two tracks, but kept the capacity to the same by having more people per car and having two cars attached to each other instead of the single car like the Matterhorn has. Now, I think so, the single car one was that, that was the one where it actually went outside, right? Yeah. Um, that, that, that totally went outside the, the, the Space Mountain that you can see, still see the people moving in, but they're like whizzing around up at the top. They're coming down the bottom, around the side. Yeah. I don't know when this one dates to, but if anybody wants to... And you can you can just imagine the practicality of an indoor outdoor roller coaster in Florida. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that would be <laughs> during during the rainy days. So so that's how we kind of ended up with with that space mountain. And there are apparently elaborate plans um, that Claude Coates had for um, s- sort of like a rotating uh, hub inside of Space Mountain. So it looked like uh, the astronauts were kind of stuck to the gravity wheel, kind of like what you have in Mission Space now. Okay. But that just yeah. proved to be wildly expensive. Uh, but they were able to like keep his plans for audio animatronics for the post-show, which I'm sure we'll we'll talk about at some point. Um, I think the reason for the switch from the Autopia to the Grand Prix is because, you know, Goodyear sponsored the people mover in California. Yeah. which use rubber tires with motors to push it along. Um, the Grand Prix, I'm sorry, the Autopia in California was sponsored by Richmond Oil, which did not exist on the East Coast. So they would not have been a good sponsor for that. Um, Gulf Oil could have been a replacement, but they chose to sponsor the Hospitality House instead, um, which was a good fit for them from a brand perspective because their whole thing was setting up a series of service stations where it was safe to stop and go to the bathroom and get maps and directions. So that was actually a really good brand fit for them. This is so, vaguely sounding like the 1964 World's Fair. <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> Who's going to sponsor what pavilion? Yeah. You know, it's the same problem. I shouldn't say so, problem, but. So what I think ended up happening is um, Disney needed some attractions in Tomorrowland. So then they started to try to make some compromises in order to make that work out. So they get Goodyear to sponsor Autopia. That doesn't, that story of driving in California doesn't make any sense. But in the late 1960s, Goodyear is associated with something, which is Grand Prix racing. They're the largest tire manufacturer and they do all kinds of sponsorship for Grand Prix racing. So da-da, the Autopia becomes a Grand Prix. And, um, they theme it down to to such specificity that I think this is a fact that somehow has been lost over the years, but the different turns and things within the Grand Prix Raceway are actually allegedly modeled after different racetracks. So the when you come out of the starting gate and make that left with sort of the high embankment, yep. that's supposed to be representative of Indianapolis. Interesting. Um, Interesting. So well, you a, do go over the brick, too. They have their own... Yeah, the, well, the that bricks, was, yeah. which I think that was added when they, like, redid it a couple of years ago. Okay. Um, but back then, there were themes to um, to Monaco, to um, Watkins Glen, 
to um, to Indianapolis, as we mentioned, to Mazda. So there were these paintings uh, on the inside of the track for each one of those tracks. So allegedly, there's a little chunk of those. So I haven't figured out yet which turns equal which tracks, but there's <laughs> that's supposed to be like, oh, we pulled a chicane from here and we pulled a high embankment from there. So, so it really gave you that fake Grand Prix feel. Did you know what... Did they have any advertisements or any any little posters on the side saying what it was? Is, um, well, like I, feel I said, like there still are, aren't there? Posters of racetracks like around. If you look down into, and of course, no one in the, we'll have to post this so that way people can see it. That's right. Take but, a note, JT. There we go. Um, but uh, on the back wall, as you were facing out, they had these huge paintings, and each little. Um, each like 10 foot section of wall had a painting on it from one of the other tracks started on one side and worked all the way to the other side. So it was, and they're all very seventies groovy looking. Oh yeah. I, I love the design of that. The, the, the uh, the grandstands and, and, and the little walkway over. Um, I, I think that whole area, and it hasn't really changed either, other than the track layout we know has been shortened considerably since. since yeah. Well, they're, they're, uh, they're little 70s Corvettes, too. That's the other thing, if you didn't notice that. They're like the third-generation Corvette, like real tiny versions. <laughs> and that was a real interesting thing, because I read a while back that Bob Gurr styled those, and he actually um, was friends with the guy that ended up styling the Corvette, Mm-hmm. And his claim was that they they both developed that idea simultaneously, not talking to each other, and <laughs> that wing at the front sort of organically happened because that was just the design movement that's at the, the time. That's the way it is. That's yeah. interesting. So, uh, so that's pretty. That was pretty well, it's, it's odd because they moved to. I mean, quickly they moved to that design in 1968 of that design of Corvette. So in that time period, I mean, it was the new hot you know thing. But yeah. That's weird. I like the fact that those cars haven't changed over the years, too. We're Mm-mm. still, you know, they've painted them. Obviously, some new fiberglass shells now and then. But, uh, yeah, the, the the and, you know, it'll be a sad day when they go to electric. But I guess the uh, the cast members running it will thank them. That's, that, that is, you know, that is a pretty, there's, a, there's very few pure things left in the Magic Kingdom. Yeah. That, other than the paint jobs, it's like, that's pretty much the same attraction right. as day one. Do we know uh, how much we actually lost? We lost twice it's been cut down once when mickey's birthday land came in and around 89 uh, 88 89 we lost again a little bit when the the new dumbo was built uh not a lot but enough to you know it it made that last turn shorter um i wonder if we ever have any measurements of how much was lost yeah and the weird thing is it was actually extended too because when it opened in 71 for Mm -hmm. some reason they didn't feel it was long enough so they actually made it bigger in 73 Interesting. Like, Interesting. We need to cut it back later on. Oh, coming, yeah, and then in the middle of that, we can't forget, is where the, the, the uh, Skyway would come down and make its 70 degree, whatever it was, turn towards Tomorrowland. I believe it came down somewhere in the center was the little little cabin or somewhere around that area, I believe. That's right. There was nothing yeah. stranger than riding the Skyway down, and then all of a sudden there's some guy standing there. Yeah. <laughs> of course, the cast member did nothing but watched you turn yeah, 70 maybe degrees. Maybe give you a little push or something yeah, in his oh, polyester oh. outfit. Exactly. This, and then you go. But the funny thing is, is you go back up really, really high <laughs> for what? Another couple hundred feet and you're right back down again. It was a, such a short little turn. Yeah. I, I think there's been some speculation that at some point someone thought that there might be a Matterhorn that would go in in that spot someday. So they would go right through it. And... So I don't know if that's I don't know how mm. I hadn't seen anything with that actually in the plans, but allegedly I, they left. I've heard um conflicting reports that they either left room for a Matterhorn or there was no room for a Matterhorn. So 
All right. Well, so far we, we've talked about the, and I'm reading this directly, the spine-tingling space mountain through the cosmos where you would pilot a spacecraft that's coming from some of this great old literature. You've got the uh, the Grand Prix Raceway. Now, how let's 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 talk about uh, mission to the moon, mission to Mars. I mean, oh yeah. Uh, okay. First of all, for those listeners of the younger generation, we have to this and also the the star jets. I mean, this is a time when Apollo. Uh, we did the Apollo Soyuz was around what seventy two seventy three. So when this thing was being um, thought about, we've been to the moon. We're now docking in space. Um, you know, and, and you know, it was a, it was a, it was space race was kind of over, but still going on. And, and you know, the NASA logo, the white spaceships, the red, and the USA on it was just prominent in everybody's mind and every child at the time. Um, so I remember going to the ride. You 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 know, you get hurled in, and you meet Mr. Johnson and and his slick silver suit that looked like it could <laughs> or a gown that could protect him from a fire from afar, um, and all those you know, wonderful 70s technology there, blipping lights and the people moving. But um, that was, for its time, that was a pretty pretty decent attraction. Yeah. Should we do like a little walkthrough of the ride? So we yeah, can let's, let's try to describe great. it for people because good, obviously yeah. Stitch is there now and before that it was Alien Encounter and before that it was these other rides. So, so it opened up finally, I think, in December of 71 as Flight to the Moon. So as I was saying before, with that back and forth of trying to get a different ride in there, I don't think they wanted to put it in there, so they finally gave up and said, "Okay, fine, we'll put we'll put Flight to the Moon in there," which was actually an update from the '67 Disneyland, but it actually ran unsponsored. They didn't get McDonnell Douglas to sponsor that because I don't think they had time to try to get them because they really didn't expect to have it there. So, um, but basically, the you'd walk into the waiting area. There were some pictures on the wall, and this was true of when it became Mission to Mars later on, too. But there wasn't a lot to do except kind of watch the countdown clock to your next flight and just kind of wait for that to happen and maybe some mood music. There's really um, not to do, much to do now. Anyway. No. Was it, <laughs> was it really the same to... waiting room that you're in now? Oh, or yeah. Is the, it... the rooms have a – I don't think we've changed at all. For the most part, the roof line was – the roof line on, on both sides sort of had this sort of an undulating wave at the top, and the colors were like pretty groovy 70s. Right. But the layout uh, itself. The but the layout, layout itself, yeah. yeah you, you had so uh, right now, I think they've sort of like cut off the windows, except for like hexagons. Yeah. On one side, those used to be giant plate glass windows, so you could actually look outside while you're waiting and see people walking by and wish that you were out there instead of waiting for the ride that you're about to go on. <laughs> <laughs> Love and, the air conditioning. Uh, Yes. So you'd have three doors open up. You'd wander into the the large room, which is pretty much where the pre-show is right now for Stitch. And then, um, and you'd have giant plate glass. And then, as you said, you'd you'd kind of look out on a controlled room. And at first, uh, in '71, it was all staffed by men because you know men did these important things, not women. Uh, and you had uh, you had Dr. Johnson, uh, who presumably was named after the Johnson Space Flight Center in in yeah. Texas, so that makes sense. Um, and he would, when it was flight to the moon, he would run you through. Um, they'd show you sort of like a another rocket launch. And uh, rocket reentry, and sort of explain some basic facts uh, about rockets and what was going on a little bit with NASA. This this was set in the future, so the concept was this was a time when people would just you know casually hop on a moonliner and and jump off to the moon and see things. Yeah, minimal was this safety on, like, procedures or anything. Just just go. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> was it, was this on like one big TV or little TV stations no, this, through? This no, was that's a, a great question. Yeah. So you had um so. 
you had sort of like a in the back you had a, a row of computers with tiny monitors uh sort of desks like you would see at at uh at kennedy space center back in the day uh, then there was a second row with probably two audio, and that was staffed by like say four or five audio audio animatronic characters, just kind of pushing mm-hmm. buttons and moving things back and forth. Uh, Doctor Johnson kind of sat st- stood in the middle there, and then there would be another row um, with like two or three figures on the left side and two or three figures on the right side, also running different things. And and each one of the stations was named after you know uh i guess as realistically as possible so there'd be like a capcom and all the different things that you'd have on an actual space flight so they mean they for the time they really tried to make it as realistic as possible then on the back wall they had a giant screen so that way dr johnson could call up oh okay let me show you this thing and let's put it on the big screen (laughs) and the the hostess and they were always hostesses because assumably they were like stewardesses on an airliner uh, a live hostess had a little CB radio sort of sort of microphone, <laughs> and would shoot Dr. Johnson questions, and then he would answer back. Uh. Um, so it was totally sexist, and it, that improved slightly <laughs> when it became Mission to Mars, because there actually was one female scientist then. So there was a guy that was pulled out and replaced by a woman, because by now it was seventy-five and things were a little hipper. So, uh, so we did get a, a lady in there. Um, it was then sponsored by McDonnell Douglas. And, uh, in this case, now it's like, they're trying to show you a little bit more futuristic. Um, but they had some footage from Skylab and from some of the Mariner probes that they could play up on the big, big screen. So you could actually see people in a weightless environment. And then right. I guess this is cool as it could have been for, you know, the early 1970s. <laughs> now, and, you know, there's some retro aspects of this that I have to call out that, you know, are ingrained in my head from watching this. Um, first of all is the, the countdown timer. You know, you mentioned that. I'm sure that there's probably people thinking it's these little LED lights counting down. No, the, I mean, I, I don't think they were Nixie tubes, but I believe they were, they were the flip type, right? They were the flip type like you would see in a... In a Train yeah, station. Kind of in those 70s clock radios. Exactly. Yeah, I, I had one next to my bed lit up by a nice amber light. <laughs> <laughs> Dimming um, every day. Super high tech at the time. Exactly. But I mean, and I remember the, you know, counting down and, and seeing all that stuff. Um, yeah, the, the, so that room actually really hasn't changed. It's still multi-tiered, right? You, you would stand in the back, was a little bit taller than the people in the, the people standing in the front. Um, and yeah, as you point out the footage, you know, there was, it's interesting when they start to talk about the flight that you're going to take, they show this rocket taking off and it looks like a really squatty Apollo. I was always wondering what that footage was. Did, did, do you know how, was that, was that Skylab? I um, actually do you I remember think, that it, those yeah uh, they actually now one of the things that they did very well was they did a remarkable job on some of the special effects yeah because that stuff was all fake right and it just looked it looked awesome I was like which Apollo mission was this yeah. it looked like an Apollo spacecraft but it was it was really really squatty and I, I never knew what it was but yeah, there was a very iconic shot of it sitting on the launch pad that yeah. looked absolutely realistic right and, um, and it would get you every time yeah so I mean well done well <laughs> now done, when that changed to Mars. I don't think they ever modified some of that footage, right? It was really the internals that changed and some of the spiel yeah, changed on the... More or less it stayed the same. And the worst part of it was uh, the one gag that ran through the whole thing was that a, an albatross would come <laughs> in for right. landing and cause... <laughs> all these alarms would go off and everyone would become very... Would be concerned. And then when they would show this albatross, like stock footage probably from one of the Disney True Life Adventure films... Yeah. <laughs> 
crash landing and <laughs> ha 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 oh that silly albatross gets us every time which really i'm sure instilled people's confidence in nasa so <laughs> every when, time it when gets. the radar's picking up stray birds you know yeah. you've got a problem <laughs> so uh you know good thank god those guys didn't work for norad when they set yep. that up otherwise we'd all be toast now so from um, there how we would the hostess would take us into one of two rooms, I believe. There are two right. total. Yep. So you'd come, um, you'd go through a hallway, and you could either split left or right into the two identical rooms. Um, once you got into those rooms, there was a row of about six or seven seats in a full circle, um, and then you would have the thrilling experience of either staring at the floor. <laughs> Yes. Or at the ceiling for the next uh, seventeen wow. minutes. Well, there was a little side footage, but not much. It was like it was the progression, right? The progression. Yeah, there was show. some. There was some. So, uh, so in Flight to the Moon and Mission to Mars, uh, they both started with a, a lift off, so you could look down to the bottom and see sort of like fire and things taking off. Uh, if you looked up, you could see uh, the sky <laughs> and start to get darker and darker and darker. Did, did you just say seventeen minutes? 17 yeah, it, minutes. Wow. It was it was a long time to be sitting in a circle looking in darkness. <laughs> Epic yeah. journey. Projections, yeah. <laughs> so at, at least they didn't clamp anything down in your shoulders then, though. That was the one. <laughs> yeah, there were no seatbelts. You just sat. And, sat there for 17 yeah, minutes. No seatbelt for the now, whole I don't, journey. You didn't need it. I don't even think the video, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, Hal, but there was no video of mr johnson or anybody it was just all audio it was only those two screens the, the status on the sides and that was it right there was yeah so you never even could... saw somebody come on and say hey guys how's everything going well during flight to the moon um they would bring up on the side monitors a uh, a three astronauts that were on the surface at a moon at a lunar base and the one the guy would talk to you through like oh well here we are on the moon and if <laughs> if my helmet were happened to crack my blood would literally boil oh my <laughs> <laughs> and, they're being truthful you know <laughs> and watch this and they the one astronaut would like pick up an astronaut and throw him in the air to show how gravity was one sixth of the earth's and then he'd land and he'd say now that's extremely dangerous so we should not really do that because if that happened i would be dead <laughs> even though we um, just did it yeah. yeah um and if you want to see this you can actually um you can actually find uh there's a walt disney presents show that has a segment of this um it is called, I'm looking up real quick, uh, From the Pirates of the Caribbean to the World of Tomorrow. So you can actually see chunks of uh, of this film as it ran. Uh, it's on YouTube. Go check it out. It is m- marginally terrible, but... <laughs> Give you a sense of what I was. Yeah, fun to watch from a retro perspective. Um, for Mission to Mars, we actually did get an in-cabin narrator. Uh, his name was Third Officer Collins, and man, that guy is my hero, because... <laughs> Every day he would have to, in theory, do this over and over again. Um, he was voiced by Pete Renaday, who is one of those like Disney voices that shows up everywhere. So that guy was also the voice of Captain Nemo on 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea. Um, he was in a number of Disney films. Uh, cool cat. Um, and, and he said that that was one of his best jobs because he actually just got to do his voice instead of having to do somebody else's voice. So if you hear Third Officer Collins, that's actually Pete Renaday's straight up voice. So... Um, so enjoy that. And the the premise of of Mission to Mars was that technology had progressed far enough that we now had hyperspace. So oh. you would get into the ship, take off, you'd go into hyperspace. And there was a really great explanation about how trying to reach <laughs> Mars takes it, months. <laughs> it was like hitting a golf ball out of the window of a moving train. <laughs> And getting it to land precisely in the window of another moving train, like so far away. 
Um, so he would take you a, he'd give you a little overview of Mars. He'd show you how Olympus Mons was the size of Texas. And they had a little thing on the side screen that would overlay showing how that was in there. And then they would send out two rocket probes with, uh, with video cameras to do a flyover. And they actually built this very elaborate model of the caldera of Olympus Mons at the Disney studio and did this sort of like fake motion control. I mean, they didn't have motion control cameras yet, but they got about as close as they could of doing this like beautiful little sweep over this model. And it looked really great except for one thing. And if you ever, if this footage is available on YouTube, I, everybody has to go look at this because it's just ridiculous. So as part of the storyline, as happens in many Disney attractions, something goes terribly wrong. <laughs> Always and does. there is a freak meteorite storm that's a one in 10,000 chance that happens every 17 minutes. But <laughs> the <laughs> awesome thing is... Maybe actually a seven every... every uh, it could be a little, a little eight and a half minutes, right? Could be <laughs> yeah. between, the two the two, between the two theaters going. <laughs> yes, with the two theaters. So, um, so when the meteorites hit, um, watch the video because suddenly it changes from this very nice... Uh, like elaborately filmed smooth thing to literally someone holding up a black and white picture of the caldera and shaking it back and forth. (laughs) And right before the thing zaps out with static, you can actually see like the edge of the photograph as it comes out of the frame. So it's like early Armageddon with Michael Bay, like overly shaky footage. It is. That is a thing of beauty. So, uh, so the other special effect that, that mission to Mars and flight to the moon had was, uh, hydraulic seats, which is why you have those hydraulic, uh, uh, shoulder restraints in stitch now. So when you took off the seats would, uh, sort of push down. So your butt would kind of get down flatter in the chair. And then when you hit orbit, they pop up again. And that was supposed to give you the feeling like you were getting pushed down in your chair from, from all the, uh, from all the G forces. And uh, I don't know, again, for the seventies, I guess it was probably pretty great as, as a kid, I, uh, I vaguely remember liking it. Okay. But it was not a, it was not a fantastic experience. And you, we, we got to remember that that played up into the early nineties. I think it was 92. It was still, I don't oh my wow. God. I don't want to use the word entertaining, but it was still taking some people in and at least taking the crowds and the, you know, ran off. For 17 years. Yeah. 17 years. Now, you did they ever clean the film? Like, or would it have a hair on it? Like, you know. <laughs> well, I actually, I can tell you from, from pseudo personal experience that there were actually, so if you happen to go behind the scenes, not that I would suggest that, um, they used to have cabinets filled with extra films. So in case of a film breakage, they would actually pull it off and they, they had two or three spare backups just sitting there ready to replace it with, uh. which is, which is one of the cool things about about the way they had stuff set up. So sort of behind the scenes, it's like that it literally ran on film. There were these giant um, movie projectors that had these sort of catches at the bottom that could collect the film in order to like pull it back up into the spool again so it could run in the loop. And, you know, film's going to break eventually. It's, yeah. it's really just a matter of time. So everything at in the Magic Kingdom that had film behind it um, there were spares, spares upon spares, just waiting to come out uh, in case something should happen. Hey, how I've I've located the Mission to Mars film from 1992 here. 
So and it, it shows the shaking. So we're gonna have to post that one too. Take, take a note, JT. We've got, got uh, it. I guess. <laughs> get this one so the other, uh, so the other attraction, which was the opening day in Tomorrowland, was America the Beautiful. So that was a Circle Vision 360 film. Um, that is also available on YouTube in a one screen view. Um, you can go look at that, but good luck getting through it because I mean, if you think Circle Vision <laughs> is tough to get through now. Uh, yeah. It was pretty brutal back then. Imagine symbiosis in uh, Circle Vision. <laughs> oh my gosh! I mean, it was a wonderful travelogue of America, where you'd stop at, you know, uh, let's see, Annapolis and Williamsburg. Um, you slowly kind of like trudge your way across Hawaii, while one of those very typical, like, I, I'm a very, I'm a very pompous white man. I'm going to explain <laughs> to you about freedom and why that's important. Oh. Just kind of roamed on for 16 or 17 minutes. Uh, eventually, you make your way to Hawaii. Um, again, at, at the time, perhaps it was very exciting. Much uh, smaller world back then. Yeah. Yeah. There were <laughs> only three channels on TV. <laughs> if People you didn't fly everywhere with their kids. <laughs> right. Nobody ever went out to dinner. You know, it was a different world. <laughs> Nobody <laughs> ate. <laughs> how, long, uh, how, how long did America the Beautiful run for? What was its run? So that ran, I think, until 73 or 74. Okay. And then it got replaced with another uh, another film called Magic Carpet Round the World, yeah, um, which ran for about a year, and then they pulled that because we were getting uh, right on top of the bicentennial, mm-hmm. and then they made a second film called America the Beautiful, which was wait, I want to think. That- Actually, I could be wrong. It could be American Journeys. That might have been when they debuted American Journeys. Man, okay. okay, someone's going to kill me on this one. American <laughs> but, uh, Journeys came out in 84. Okay. So so it must have been another version of America the Beautiful that was all new. Because Magic um, Carpet was only one year I'm seeing here, 74, 75. Putting you to sleep from all angles. And then, yes. <laughs> and then I think Magic Carpet Around the World came back after the centennial was over. Like maybe a couple of years later. You know what, How I don't think you're the only one whose memory is foggy on this. I mean, if you talk to anybody in the retro world and, and not many people ever even speak of these. these well, films. and here's the thing. So you would think Tomorrowland would be the most exciting place for a kid to be in the Magic Kingdom. Right. But in 19... I mean, I literally remember like not wanting to be anywhere near Tomorrowland. <laughs> it was literally the most boring place for a kid. Yeah. Except for, you know, except for the Grand Prix, maybe, maybe. Now, did you have hope? Like when you went, cause when you look at those old pictures, it looks awesome. Like it's white and it's got, it looks clean and it looks like 2001, a space odyssey. But then you go and it's just, Oh, uh, nothing uh, to do. Well, you know, that's the thing. Kids, kids aren't really into architecture. <laughs> yeah, I get that. But it's just like, it looks so like, futuristic i don't know it can, well and you know there was construction going on so like the saving grace and all this was in 72 they opened up if you had wings and then it's like right. oh yeah let's go and get on the omni mover because yes because finally yeah. there's a, there's a ride and it's and a pretty damn kick-ass one too so and um can, are you gonna get into we're gonna go right into if you had wings we can we can pause okay so i was we just can, i was just gonna well no i want to um i was just gonna this is a time people too that that do you guys remember way back when Disney used to have the official airlines, right? Now, people remember why Delta, there was Delta. But back then, Eastern, Eastern Airlines, yeah. well, right, it was their official airline. Now, I, I flew Eastern down there. I think when you went down there, it was almost a rite of passage that you had to take Eastern. Or at least you felt like it. Um, 
and they were the primary sponsor for getting that 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 thing up. Now I know Arrow developed it, the roller coaster company. Um, we got what'd you say? It was around '72, right, that it opened up. So that wasn't right. even there on opening day, um, and that was another delightful delight of of rear projection. <laughs> if you take a El Rio de Tiempo and, and put it into a Omnimover ride, <laughs> that's essentially what you have. Oh, and that's I mean, honestly, if you think about it. Uh, they basically ripped off this ride in order to create El Rio de Tiempo. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's really a, a – Rio de Tiempo is a redo of If You Had Wings. Yeah. It's a, it's a travelogue through um, uh, rear projection, obviously the speed tunnel, but I'm, I'm getting ahead of myself. Um, go ahead, take it out. You know it the best. Oh, right. So, um, so I mean, what, what – would it, so this is probably the end. You know, I always say that, uh, like, if you had wings, they basically took that idea and they turned it into El Rio de Tiempo and Maelstrom. But the difference is, uh, with a very limited budget, they figured out what they could actually do really, really well with with a tiny amount of money. They they couldn't build a lot of audio animatronics. In fact, they could build no audio animatronics. And they didn't have a lot of space either. I mean, the building itself, I mean, the way that those cars are crammed in there, the track yeah, it's pretty tight. It's it's a very it's a very modest amount of space for what they're they're able to pull off. It's yeah. basically smashed up against the side of uh of um of the the uh 360 Circle movie. Vision. Right, right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So um and the the puzzling part of this whole thing is it would kind of make sense where it's located and the way it's set up that that could have been adventures through inner space, but Monsanto ended up sponsoring the 360 movie. So they couldn't sponsor that. Um, so they got Eastern to do it. But if, when you walked into the, into the sort of the entrance area, it was set up exactly like adventure through inner space. You had the, the sort of like weaving back and forth of the queue instead of the mighty microscope, you had this, uh, this globe, with a hole in it with a jet plane attached to the side. Right. I remember I remember the little jet plane on there, right, instead of going yeah. Yeah. So you would you would basically the the front part of it um is exactly the same as that. And and probably but by, by design because that was done by the same designer. That was also a Claude Coates piece. And man, that guy just really figured out how to get the maximum amount of uh out of bang out of like hundred and ten movie projectors and some plywood. <laughs> yeah. Which is really all that was in there. Because there really was nothing much else to it i mean there really wasn't set designs as we you know for those that remember dream flight i mean they actually built some things for that enforced perspective but you really yeah. didn't have that in in if you had wings it was i mean it was remarkable in that it sort of like ran on this borderline between abstract mm-hmm. and and real um so i mean they were built there were you know sort of plywood fronted buildings and cruise ships and different things and there were places where it got more dimensional and less dimensional so um one of the, probably the the most dimensional things i remember is uh as you're cruising through the mexico section you kind of come underneath this this um stone head of like a quexaclotl and that was actually a full dimensional thing and that was the one thing as a kid it's like you always wanted to touch you're like i can reach out and i can touch that (laughs) (laughs) how dare i um but it was brilliant because they um they took basically all the stops on eastern's caribbean and south american routes and did one room devoted to each one of them 
So it was a great sales piece for Eastern because it really touched on all the places that you would go and all the things that you would see. Um, so much so as I think earlier this week, someone pointed out uh, on Twitter a uh, an ad from the 1960s. And man, if there wasn't like five things that were direct shout outs to what ended up in, <laughs> in If You Had Wings later on. It was there, there was parasailing in Acapulco. There was... Um, I'm trying to remember all there was like kids playing soccer in front of a pyramid. It was all things that we, that we ended up seeing later on. And if you had wings. Yep. Yeah. Now for those two who have listened to our opening, opening theme song, it opens up with uh, Eastern airlines. That's, that's part of the segment directly from, from the ride that we've added in there. So it's our little, uh, nod to if you had wings, which then how became, if you could fly once, uh, I think in the eighties, late eighties sometime when, uh, Eastern pulled out. Right. Uh, that was pre-Delta coming on board, and we'll save Dreamflight uh, for another episode. But um, yeah, the speed tunnel was cool. I remember going through that and uh, exiting out. Now, when you exited the ride, off to your right was a little forgotten area, of, which we can touch base on, was the Tomorrowland um, stage, I guess is the best way to say it. Now, that area is now where um, Buzz, uh, I think, comes out and signs autographs. It's to the right of Buzz Lightyear. Um, and uh, that was there for a number of years. Um, I know they did all sorts of stage shows, and some of the film we're going to talk about later has some footage of people dancing. But, okay, we've got to get to my favorite ride, the People Mover. Um, and you got the, the Star Jets. There's not a lot to talk about there in the Star Jets other than how, I mean, they were mimicking Apollo missions from the, ga the gantry way to me. was It's incredible. I mean, they got the color. That, that rocket red orange, you would the, the feeling of going in there and having the, the, the doors close on you, going up to the top, uh, walking out to your to your spaceship, and then going out there. And you know the design of the the the, uh, the sp center spire of, of of the rotation there just looked like something right out of NASA. Oh yeah, that was totally taken from from the Apollo launch vehicles. Yeah, and you had, had the that. black and white stripes, yep. everything USA. Yep. And the cars were all sort of themed after some of the lifting body experiments that NASA was doing at that time. Yep. So in theory, it was all very cutting edge. It was. And, and yeah, and as a kid, it was very effective. Yep. I mean, it's it's about as close as you could probably come. And you know, for what is essentially like Dumbo up on a third floor. It always um, seemed faster and obviously higher, but it always yeah, seemed faster it, and tighter. And actually had just beautiful views of Tomorrowland. Yeah. I mean, I mean really <laughs> phenomenal. Scary as hell, but yeah. Yeah. beautiful. There, beautiful there's a Holy views. Grill 8mm film right there. Somebody holding, yes, riding it going that. around. Yeah. Yeah. So now right around the base is where we have, um, you know, uh, the people mover, which for me, that was the ride for some reason, even to this day, when I go and visit, we gravitate towards Tomorrowland. I don't know why. I don't know. If I, I always go to the right. I always go. And I always, my, even my son says, let's go ride the people mover. Um, but I, I love that ride. I love the fact that that's another one that really hasn't changed. Um, it's changed because of the rides that it goes through have changed. Um, you know, if we go back uh, when that first opened, when you, it was really that first sneak peek into Space Mountain that a lot of people had, uh, that was when the lights were actually on somewhat. <laughs> you could see the track. They've blackened out a lot of it now. Um, that's where people got the taste of, uh, of uh, um, if you had wings, you could look down on that uh, and look through if you could fly and dream flight. And um, I always enjoyed it. I always thought it was a great, cool way to, there was never much of a line. Um, and uh, and then as JT pointed out last time, hey, you had the 
you had the moving walkway, right? The uh, the good the speed, speed ramp, ramp. needs more ramp. speed ramp. Yeah. Yeah. So. And uh, so I mean, there's where you, there's where we have that schism where Goodyear goes away because um, they changed up how it's done. It's actually a brilliant system, and it's it's still a brilliant system. This whole thing of linear induction motors. Mm-hmm. So I mean, the basic concept is there's an electromag. There are a bunch of electromagnets on the track. Um, there is a big metal plate on the bottom of your of your vehicle, and there's uh, as your vehicle is approaching, the electromagnet is on uh, with a positive polarity, and it yanks you towards it. And as you as it passes over, it reverses the polarity and it pushes you off to the next one. So it's actually really, I mean, brilliantly simple. And I think one of the reasons it survived as long as it has is because it's probably incredibly reliable. I was just going to say that reliable, and also if you if you think about it, how efficient it can be. Because when those aren't being used, they don't have to be turned on. So it knows that you know maybe five or six of ahead of it are turning on and the ones below are turning off. So, you know, behind it are turning off. So yeah, in- incredibly efficient. And what are the moving parts? The wheels. Yep. Probably a good time to mention a couple of things. Uh, the system was under development when Walt was nearing the end of his life. There's a great picture of him on the lot at the uh, studios uh, where they built a, a segment of track in the parking lot. And there's guys out there riding in it. <laughs> um, to, to show that it would work. And then uh, Disney actually tried in the 70s to develop this, uh, a separate business, marketing this transportation system uh, for use in, in commercial applications, transportation applications. Uh, they sold one, uh, and it, it's still running today in the Houston airport, I think it is. Yeah, it is. Um, so the uh, there's a people mover in the uh, Houston airport, and I think they wanted to use the same thing in like Buena Vista. They were, I'm assuming, they were going to see use the same linear induction, or at least something based similar to that. Yeah. So, all right. Well, I hate to wrap up Tomorrowland, but we do need to move on to our next segment. But um, how I don't know. We've got a lot more on Tomorrowland to talk about. This, there's other oh, yeah. phases, and we can come back and visit these more in depth so we will do eventually do another tomorrowland episode but um it is time for viewer mail so um jt what do you what do you got for us this month um got a message from mark and he was curious about universe of energy and i don't remember this and i don't even know if it's still the same but um he was wondering if we recalled or had any information on the smell that occurred when you entered the dinosaur area Oh, I remember. You know, there's a distinct smell under Spaceship Earth. I'm going to take a little turn. Yeah, go here. ahead. Do you ever notice there's a distinct smell under Spaceship Earth? At which part? Uh, <laughs> I mean, because there's the burning the, yeah, smell. Yeah, when you go it, through. It, it has this very distinct smell. I, I, I think it's part of the burning room, Rome coming down. But Rome's pretty high up at that point. Yeah. Um, I just, I don't know, and it, it, it may be just the odor of the ride. Every now it wafts out through the main opening, and I, you know, you go, you're walking under there and make a right towards what was the Kodak building, uh, Kodak Photoshop. And I just remember this, these smells. And, and it was funny because I was there, I don't know, two years ago or so. I walked through, I'm like, there's that smell again, you know, and certain smells just evoke certain memories in your brain. Um, but yeah, Spaceship Earth has a distinct odor to me. It's probably just a mixture of all the different, you know, things that they've got going on in there. Um, in terms of universal energy, this one may require a little bit of research. Now, I, I remember a good story about 
the lava flow that they actually wound up using a, and I have to correct, find my source on this, but they actually wound up using some sort of pump for the lava that was originally used for uh, dog food canning or pet food canning, which was interesting. Um, but anyway, a little tidbit there. But I, I'm going to guess that it's some, uh, you know, some sort of mustiness that they were piping in to simulate that that era of peat and and other things that were, um, you know, uh, decomposing. Now, I don't know if that's gone away. I have not been in that attraction in a while, so I don't know if that's gone away. If, you know, if you look at Horizons and you look at University of Energy, if the, the smell there, and then you had Spaceship Earth, I don't doubt that there was some smell because they were trying to add to that whole experience uh how how what do you remember do you remember a, a yeah there was there? definitely that swampy musty yeah. smell it kind of smelled like yeah <laughs> like decomposing dinosaur I guess, <laughs> in plant material right and that was you know but that was thanks to uh that was thanks to the smellerizer technology that they actually introduced uh in many attractions in epicot so right right besides besides we had rome burning so that was rome a pretty burning, good yeah. smell um, of course, everybody's favorite, the smell of the oranges, oranges in, yes. in uh, Horizons, the mustiness. Uh, it, yeah. And actually, no one – I don't know if that – I'm trying to think of any other case where that technology might have leaked back out into, into any other theme park. I, uh, I know they used one in the Polynesian lobby because there was stories about them doing away with it like two years ago. I don't know what the scent was. I mean, I always thought it had a distinct smell. Uh, to me, it smelled from, like just an old fountain. Yeah. yeah. Just yeah. A, All right. Well, with but, the truth, uh, well, with the fountain coming out, one of us has got to go back and take a good deep breath and see if the <laughs> smell construction. Yeah, that could have that could have been the asbestos remover. You don't know. I, t- <laughs> t- Tiki Man will know. I'll have to ask him. There we go. There we go. So. All right. Well, JT, who was that from again? Uh, that was from Mark. Mark. And he All right. emailed us on our question email, which is podcast at retrodisneyworld.com. Excellent. So if you've got any other questions, anybody, please do send in the viewer mail. So. All right. It is time for our audio puzzler. Now, last week we played a piece, and um, the correct answer, we, we had somebody nail it. Not only did they get the location, but they got the name. Um, we did have other people who got the location, and um, but we have to give the, the winner is Jared Toxtein. Um, so we, we will uh, we're going to have a prize for you, Jared. We're getting that all sorted out, and you will be entered in the uh, uh, the big drawing at the end of 2015. So uh, congratulations to you! Thanks to everybody who entered. And this week's audio puzzler, we do have a new one. And uh, let me just get it uh, queued up here. And, uh, all right, let's take a listen for about 15 seconds or so. Yeah, people thought you were going to get music, I bet. I bet. Everybody's looking a little baffled, I'm not sure. (laughs) It's a little different, a little different. All right, so there we go. Uh, That is this week's Puzzler. If you know the attraction and or area that this came from, uh, email podcast at RetroDisneyWorld.com. And we'll take all correct answers and uh, enter them into a random drawing to win a great prize. Um, Actually, I think... uh, How did you have something to give away? Uh, Oh, I got... Yes. You do have something. Okay. Yeah. How about a a juicy uh, Mickey and Goofy uh, visit the Universe of Energy comic book? Oh, that's a Ooh, I, nice that's, one. That's a nice one. Excellent. All right. So, so if you would like to win the, that comic book, uh, and we do have to give uh, uh, Jared something. So we'll, we'll we'll get you on the flip side, Jared. Don't worry. We'll get you taken care of. We'll go through our uh, 
our boxes here and see what we can find for you. So, um, all right. So if you know the answer to this month's audio puzzler, please write in uh, podcast at retrodisneyworld.com with your answer. Please be sure to include your name and your guess, and uh, we'll announce it on next month's episode. All right. So the next section is film restoration. Um, just to let everybody know that um, this month, this uh, s- segment of the show is sponsored by Pixel.com. Uh, for a thoughtful once-in-a-lifetime gift, uh, contact Pixel to create pristine digital transfers from your old home movies, photos, videotapes, and slides. And they now feature a cloud with the Reflectera app, uh, which is really cool. It allows you to scroll through all of your photos and videos in a really concise timeline. And um, uh, we're actually going to be setting one up for Retro Disney World so you can see all the different movies we've done in a, in a really cool timeline. Um, so you can give a, a Pixel a call at 1-800-557-3508 or visit them at pixel.com. And you can also get links to them at our image work section on retrodisneyworld.com. So this, uh, this month we're going to go through two films here. Um, and uh, maybe in our time we only maybe will get through one. But we picked these because... They are probably have become the number one and number two films um, that we've got on our site. Uh, they have the biggest hits, the most comments. People are really, really interested in them. And um, they there's two sources of it. The, the 71 film was one. Brian, you found this one. This is this what I call the pristine film. We mentioned it last month. Um, this thing is just an absolute gem taken in November 71. Disney World is brand new. Um it's just a gorgeous piece. And the other one is what kicked this whole restoration process off. It's a 72 film um, that my grandparents took on their trip to Florida. They visited all over uh, Florida back in 72 and took a lot of good film um, in Disney World. And uh, this film in particular, actually both of them are both feature the frogs of uh, of the Jungle Cruise. And that's where we were able to locate the frogs because uh, they were taken out somewhere in 72, 70, 73, somewhere in there. So let's take a, let's start off with the 71. Uh, just go a little chronological order. So it's November. The Christmas decorations are up. Um, I don't know. This, this thing is just beautifully pristine. Uh, and for those playing along at home on our podcast website, you can get the links to these so you can watch. So... Uh, what, I don't know, guys. What what stands out in this one? I'm I'm looking at the Main Street USA right now and marching band coming down the street around the 55 mark. It's colorful to me. I just you know you you I and I I mean this isn't a plug to the Pixel, but it kind of is. Like I'm just amazed. Like I always see these pictures, they look browned out, redded out. You mm-hmm. know, but this is really clear. You know, it's yeah. like clear, like you're there, like right right then. Yep. Yep. The um... The pan that's, you know, I mentioned this in the last episode, the pan that starts in front of the ice cream parlor. Yeah, that's around, just, uh, what, 105? It's right around the one-minute mark, yeah. yeah. And, and and he just, you know, takes you all the way across the hub, overlooking towards the bridge to Adventureland. And, I mean, you know, the park's six weeks old at that point. Uh, as Hal spoke about earlier, there's absolutely nothing in Tomorrowland other than what you can kind of see. Yeah, it looks um, like you can actually see the Plaza Pavilion under construction. Yeah, because you kind of see like a roof line next to uh, to the right of uh, to the circle vision. I'm sorry, yeah, to the circle yep. vision theater. I was yep. I was wondering if that was the Plaza Pavilion, and then slightly behind that was was if you had wings. So is that is that all Plaza Pavilion that early? That would have been because yeah, they they yeah. they needed to get the restaurants going pretty quickly because there was extreme demand. So 
it's that is an amazingly huge restaurant too. Yeah, you don't even realize how big it is. Yeah, and the other thing you have there is the uh, the Swan Boat dock prior to Swan Boats. Yep. Which well, is, and, which, and that's the original sure. dock before they moved it. If you remember, that it was one of the things they built that first dock that they used for a year, and then they moved it. Uh, they built a second dock, and that one became where people sit there and eat uh, food. You know. <laughs> Right, so the, the the second dock that the, everybody knows where the swan boats came from was was over more towards Tomorrowland, right? Uh, which is actually one of our other videos Cause, highlights. Because the problem the problem was that the crowds were spilling out into in front of the Plaza Restaurant, right? <laughs> and you know it was becoming a, a traffic jam. Yeah. So they moved it. Uh, and just like the trees, I mean, they're not overgrown yet. They're no. relatively small, which means you can actually see stuff. Yep. <laughs> It's got to look to me like when you first move into a house and then you look at that house 10 years later, like, you know, your stuff builds up and clutter and stuff. And it's like, to me, it's like just empty. Like there's not little things anywhere. It seems like just simple. Oh, and hey, we actually just refuted like one of our things from last week. So, uh, so we went through the whole Coke Pepsi debate. Yeah. Uh, so I can see Coke Corner there. So Coca-Cola has sponsored that. And uh, I forgot they also sponsored the Tomorrowland Terrace. So oh. Tomorrowland was Coke and Frontierland was Pepsi. Isn't that interesting? So I love the, uh, if you go around to the 205 mark, take a look at 20,000 Leagues. Uh, <laughs> that water is crystal clear. You 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 want to swim in it. <laughs> it's just... <laughs> Gorgeous, gorgeous. Did they ever put the mermaids at Disney World, or was that only Disneyland? Let me I see have, those pictures. I have never seen it at at Disney. Oh, the, World. the real living mermaids we're talking. Yeah, about. like oh, you know, okay. people dressed up, you know, laying there. Yeah, like, no. did they ever? You know, don't forget, Florida had not to get away from us here, but Florida had a at Silver Springs had a mermaid attraction already, so um, that was pretty well known and pretty well attended too. So I don't think they want to. Uh, too many mermaids. Them. Yeah, right. The same reason they didn't want pirates there, because yeah, there you go. Saint Augustine. Remember that was the <laughs> argument for why they wouldn't have pirates of the Caribbean, because Florida had real pirates two hundred years earlier. Why would they be interested in pirates? <laughs> That's right. Now there's a there's a really nice view of uh, slow pan again. I mean, th- th- this is what cracks me up about this guy is that he didn't really take film of any of his family. <laughs> he just no, kind of pans. too expensive. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Maybe he was the first lifestyler. Maybe That's he went right. alone. and <laughs> He knows what his family looks like. That's right. Exactly. <laughs> I don't need to show that back at home. <laughs> I paid $6 to get in here, buddy. I'm going to take pictures of this That's stuff. right. That's right. Um, now, the Jungle Cruise is great. Um, when we get on there, I think that the frogs come in at the 318 mark. And uh, they, they really, really look good. Did you guys pull them up? Mm-hmm. Yep. I can see them, yep. It's quick, but they're there. Yes. They're there in all their glory. <laughs> it, even that, to me, the, the, the jungle looks very barren. I don't know, maybe it's just me. It just seems very plain. Well, they had to fly in a lot of those plants and stuff, too. And and you know what's what I thought was interesting when I first saw this? Let's see, whereabouts is it? 331. It's the African scene. It yeah. actually looks like Africa. Right, mm-hmm. it's barren. <laughs> it looks, looks more like, like Animal Kingdom, yeah, yeah exactly. than a jungle. Um, and you know, that's actually that's one of my beefs. It's like if you go back and you look at at these things, where you know this is supposed to be the savanna, it's supposed to be the right, plain. Exactly. And there's not like right now. There's tons and tons of trees back there. Yeah. Um, and well, keep yeah. going to like three thirty six to the Lost Safari. Mm-hmm. Um, you the way that that whole scene is staged. I mean, this is this is actually to me like brilliantly taking Mark Davis's drawing and translating it 
to 3D space. You have you have the safari, you have a very simple hill, you have the rocks and some of the other animals behind the rocks watching what's going on. You can see this thing and you can read the gag in the scene oh, yeah. very quickly. Today, that entire background is filled with trees. The, the trees and plants have encroached around those rocks. You can't read the gag no. in five seconds like you used to be able to do back then. Right. It just, it, They've it, almost overgrown it. They really have because it, now it feels like you when you go from scene to scene, like you said, you're not seeing it and you're just all of a sudden you pop around a tree and you see something and then everything goes around to growth again and then you pop around another corner and see something else. So, yeah. Now, the one really interesting thing I have and, and I've made this comment in other locations. I'm going to make it again here. Starting around three three o'clock uh, three three four minute mark there we get the elephant bathing pool now i know this was a couple weeks after opening but you guys tell me come on those elephants are moving a heck of a lot better than they are today <laughs> they seem fluid they seem more life i don't know maybe it's just i don't know maybe i need to c- compare it well you know c- compare disneyland pirates Inside Pirates of the Caribbean to Magic Kingdom Pirates inside Car- Pirates of the Caribbean. Yeah, there's a marked difference in how elaborately they move, and I don't know. Yeah. Some I maintenance. I'm, I have <laughs> we, no idea what we, that could be. But. So, well, the rest of the film goes through some great additional pans through Liberty Square. You see one of the tour guides walking and laughing with people, and some um, a great shot overlooking. Um, the, the, the steamboat, the original one with two stacks. Um, but uh, going on to the second film, so the 72 film, uh, again, my, my grandparents were the ones uh, who, who t- took this film. Um, I, I, didn't, I hadn't seen this film in, in eons. This is another one where the restoration that I was able to do on the film really came out good. Um, and on top of that, the, uh, the color of my grandfather's film was, was well retained. He had a knack for buying cheap film and cheap processing but for this this trip he he didn't it looks like he splurged for kodak um so there's a couple interesting points in here i mean it, what's really interesting is it starts out the same way as almost every other film with main street i mean everybody was oohed and odd about that um but he has this fantastic pan at the at the uh, 157 mark um you see the old dumbo and you, you see uh the carousel there, he pans up to the castle and you've got the two skyway buckets crisscrossing right right over the castle. Uh, and then it jumps to my grandmother coming out of the bathroom. <laughs> Hello. Yeah, there she is. Um, but I don't know, what, what stands out in your mind in this? Oh, and then also too, there's the, this will be a little, little, little uh, tidbit. If you watch closely at the 244, 245 mark, a nun is riding on the Skyway and comes out right before we jump to the Admiral mm-hmm. Joe Fowler. <laughs> awesome. Uh, uh, part of what stands out to me, I mean, you know, it, there's no one there. It's mm. There's wide open spaces. You know, people are moving along leisurely. There are no strollers. There's a, you know, there's just no throngs of people anywhere. There's It's just, a, it's a pleasantly populated park. Right, right. And, uh, you know, today you'd, you just don't see it that way. No. What time of the year is this? This this was July. Um, actually, wow. I have, yeah, <laughs> if you can believe it. Um, it was actually, I have it pinned down to the exact date. This was taken July 23rd, 1972. I have a travel log that my grandparents wrote, so I know the exact, ah. exact date. Yeah, I mean, it does fill up when he, when he 
gets a little further in there yeah. later in the day at certain points, but just the you know, like I said, the the whole Fantasyland Plaza and all that. I mean, none of it, none of it is just filled yeah. with people. Now I saw, and this is jumping ahead, That's but okay. about seven minutes. Oh, you're uh, really jumping saw, ahead. <laughs> yeah. Uh, we saw one of Hal's Holy Grails, the the teacups without the lid on That's it. That's right. You know, the they are in there. Excellent. Yeah. All right. Hold on. You're gonna jump ahead on me. I got. I got to go back. Boiling teacups. Go oh, ahead. Go ahead. I, now, now, now I'm all screwed. Oh, I know. The keelboat. Check out the shot of the birth of May yeah. at 3:53. I mean, um, my grandfather did a great slow pan slow, right up there. You've got the guy in a cast member in character leaning against it, the rigging on it. Um, just a beautiful shot, and then obviously you have uh, uh, additional shots of um, Tom Sawyer in the background, and, and you get the cabin burning when they're on the stuff. So a lot of a lot of really neat stuff there. Um, there is a group of people that has appeared in a couple films I've restored, and uh, it's a it's a band that they can be seen around the 420 mark, uh, all dressed in red. Um, one of them looks like Tattoo from uh, Fantasy Island. Uh, does anybody know what that <laughs> band was? The plane, the plane, <laughs> the band, the band. How do you know what that band was? I'm trying to get back to the oh, video. Okay. <laughs> We've lost out here. We're all we're all streaming so hard right now. Yeah, I'm killing the Vimeos. I'm out. Oh, of, yeah, there they I'm are. Out of red HD jackets. to pull this stuff up. So yeah, they're in red jackets. Um, what what land are they in? They were playing in Frontierland, actually, at the very fringe, actually, over by uh, Tom Sawyer Island, where it gets to the close to the uh, Frontierland Railroad Station. But they've appeared in in some other films, riding in one of the jitney buses in the in the parades, and um, they definitely have appeared. But they're wearing all these red red suit jackets. Um, for a, for a non Disney retro thing, when you get to the 441 mark, there's girls wearing these hats that look like they should be wor- working at Corn Dog. It's pr- pretty funny. And they got Pepsi cups in their hands. Did not. Oh yeah, look at that Pepsi. It is. So Chip and Dale kind of look uh, duck billed platypus <laughs> to me with that nose. Yeah, it's a little little different. Well, it was funny. I have the Look magazine out, um, and on, it was the Look magazine from April. 1971. So this is pre-opening, and it's got Mickey on the cover. My son comes down and sees it today, and he goes, "Oh, so is that what Mickey looked like back in the day?" <laughs> yeah, <laughs> he had regular, regular hands. hands. He's like he has whiskers. I'm like, no, those are just folds in his cheeks. But um, where where did all these totem poles go? That's what I'd like to know. At the about so, five, a little bit so, earlier, five minutes. Yeah. So originally they're hanging out to the left of the Frontierland train station. Yeah, that's the four four fifty seven mark for those playing at home. Uh, uh, a little. So after the Frontierland train station goes away and Splash Mountain gets built, those get relocated to the banks of the rivers of America, close to the um, the boat launch. Okay, that's cool. Yeah, that's kind of a neat spot there too, where before. Reminds me of Fort Wilderness, is what it reminds me. <laughs> and what a what a great little uh, what a great little train station. Yeah, really yeah, great. just simple. Now, so that's that's probably so that train station's got some history, or at least that design. Enlighten us, how? Uh, okay, so uh, so that train station uh, started out. Now it's not the same one. So that that basic design started out in the Walt Disney film, so dear to my heart. And uh, Ward Kimball was doing his full-size backyard railway before Walt was doing any full-size scheme. So 
uh, apparently Walt said, hey, Ward, you you want this thing? And he said, yeah, I'll take it. So he packed it up and he moved it uh, over to his house and put it in his Grizzly Flats railroad station. And then uh, when Walt was building Disneyland, he approached Ward Kimball and said, hey, remember that uh, that station? Can I have that back? <laughs> I kind of <laughs> need that. And <laughs> Ward was like, no, no, you can't have that. So uh, so they rebuilt it again uh, and put it back in Disneyland. And uh, this is a, a close copy of it uh, here in Walt Disney World. Um, but that railroad station also appears in Epcot Center in uh-huh. the American Adventure uh-huh. yes. um, yep. during the Two Brothers sequence. Interesting. Um, and apparently when they were going to film that, they were trying to find an old-fashioned railroad depot that they could use. Um, but they were concerned that uh, that tourists might come and flood that railroad depot, you know, trying to find the same place uh, that they shot the Epcot film. So they decided to just sort of close off that area at Disneyland one night and dress it and use it for that shot. Look at that. Now, there's your there's your trivia for the night. That's pretty cool. <clears throat> so now there's a. I got an email from uh, somebody commented once on one of these films here. I think it was at the 535, 536 mark. They said, did the train go around the park differently? I can see the contemporary from the back of the train. <laughs> it, oh, yeah. You know, there was no Tomorrowland. There was no Tomorrowland. There was nothing. And you could see straight through. Um, you know, when you, uh, going back, since Tomorrowland is our theme here, when you think about that for a second, that you could see the contemporary from Tomorrowland. I mean, that's, a, you know, kind of a little bit of brilliant architecture there. Now, we all knew Tomorrowland was always on the right-hand side, even at Disneyland, but um, it, it was a perfect place for it. And until things really grew in, you and, and Space Mountain and Carousel Progress and all those came up, um, you know, you wouldn't be able to see it. People are probably wondering why we didn't touch on Carousel Progress tonight, too. That's got a whole... Except for me claiming it as my favorite Tomorrowland that's, that's right. attraction. But yeah. we will, we'll touch based on that at a later date. Um, there's some great Main Street vehicle shots around the six mark, um, and then uh, we get into one of my favorite parts actually, and it's, it brings up the, the Skyway. It's a pretty decent segment, uh, or a lengthy segment of riding the Skyway over Fantasyland, over 20,000 leagues. Um, this all kicks off around 6:30, uh, 6:30 something or so. Um, but yeah, how? Let's see. Uh, where are the your teacups are coming in right around. See, I'm over 20,000 leagues right now. There's the waterfalls. Did you find them? There they are. 702. Here Operating and everything. Boom. Now, there's a really great nice. shot here. Um, let's see if we can get the exact point. There, you, it, the construction is going on at this point for, for uh, Tomorrowland. And if you pause it at around, let's see, 7, come on. 725, 726. Uh, a big mound big of dirt. Big mound of dirt, yeah. And that location, now you can see dancers on a stage. We talked about a stage. This was a, more of a temporary stage that they had set up. Um, if you notice the color of the wall, the pink, the yellow, and the orange pretty much matches the bags of the day. But if you look at that stage at 727 with the dancers on it, it's, it's temporary. I mean, that was, you could see pretty much behind it is just trailers put together um and that blue shack exists uh to this day and is still there we, we did some uh reconnaissance photos on that um but yeah really if, if you go through that 720 to 723 and then at 730 you can actually start to see what was built of the people the people mover 
uh, and how it was just walled yeah. off. <laughs> it was dead. It was just a dead complete... end. It was great. Right at the end of the buildings for Mission yeah. to Mars and and the uh, America the Beautiful. Exactly. So and then uh, you get a great view of coming into the Tomorrowland uh, Skyway. My my favorite part of that descent into the station is that you've got a bucket full of Navy men in front yeah, of you, yeah, uniforms, sailors. and then there's more sailors in the queue off to the right, uh, like another group of them waiting to get on. It's and they stand out obviously because oh, yeah. they're in their Navy. I bikes. never even noticed the ones in queue over there over the right hand yeah. side. Yeah, so it yeah. must have been uh, something was in port that day. Uh, <laughs> well, that's well, actually how you uncle, know there was a naval uncle. training center in Orlando, so that was probably an easy place for them to come over and yeah. My uncle, Tom, my uncle Tom spent 22 years in the Navy. He joined in 1978, and I asked him if he had ever been to Disney World, and he said one time uh, when I was in the Navy, we went for the day. <laughs> huh. Yeah. Okay. Interesting. There you go. Interesting. So, more yeah, more Jungle Cruise. Fru- cruise. You, can, you can find the frogs again around 827. <laughs> They're in there again. Um, frogs. Yeah, those damn frogs keep coming back and back, so... But uh, and the the frog. There's also another clip in here. There was people talking about the alligator crying. How have you heard about that on the Jungle Cruise? Uh, I think I read something about yeah. that recently. But you'll have to refresh. So my there's memory. this there's this there's a saying about a crocodile crying, and and there was people saying, oh no, in the Jungle Cruise, it's not. It's just a leak that nobody fixed. Well. If you go back, I mean, here we have a film from 1972. It's about the 9:14 mark. You can see an alligator crying from its eyes, and um, to this day, there's even a. I, I oh. even have a, a a a clip of something recent where the alligator is still crying. So, it is a play on on the term alligator crying or crocodile crying. I forget what crocodile tears. Yeah. Um, but yeah, and it and I don't know if this is you know one of those. Subtle little jokes with that the elephant, you know, the baby elephants making the the alligator cry. I don't know what what it is, but um, yeah, if you and you know, it's not just he squirts it out. You know, it's like the <laughs> tears coming out pretty intensely. It's right when the mouth goes down too. That's odd. Yeah. So, but anyway, so you've got that the, the two two total uh, movies there. You've got to go to fifteen minutes of watching. Um, and guys, I think uh, we're going to wrap it up for uh, for this month, this month's episode. So this was, uh, we do have to pick something for next next time around. Um, I have an idea. I was going to say let's let's how you kind of picked this one, right? This is your kind of your Tomorrowland one. Let's yeah, pass let's the pass torch. the torch. Uh, I have an idea, but I, I don't want to get in the way here. Uh, um, JT, w- w- have you looked over our our list? And for those listeners out there. Um, I have no less than about 64 different potential topics, and this does not include things that are popping up as we're talking. This does not include things that are going to come up as we talk. So 64, you, you do the math. We've got over five years at, at a one per month. So we got plenty to talk about. But JT, what, what's burning? What, what is something you, you got to talk about? I'm a big resort person. Resort. So what are your... What are your? What are your? Do you gotta? Do you narrow it down to a specific? Well, if we give it to, you go give it to Polynesian, then then you know how's this gonna get two two in one month? <laughs> yeah. So okay. So let's pick a well, resort then. What do we I, I do? think at a protest we should not talk about the Polynesian again until they've finished their reimagining. Oh, of it. see how it comes out. All right. Well. Yeah. Oh, yeah. We'll have to do a live remote for Trader well, Sam's then. I'm for that. <laughs> coming in. All right, exactly. all right. Well, why don't why don't we why don't we do we'll we'll do the contemporary then. We will um we'll talk about 
We'll talk That'll about work. the contemporary. The golf resort is another Will, one. Will JT get to do his uh, U.S. steel voice again oh, yeah, during that podcast? That like, a, like a chest of <laughs> Like a chest of drawers sliding into a cupboard or how they sell here. Yeah, like. That's right. And, <laughs> and today is actually the anniversary of uh, Nixon's I Am Not a Crook speech. Yes, I saw that. And, and, yeah, the uh, Conference of Municipal Governments or something he was addressing and down there. For some more interesting history, I didn't even realize. I, I should have looked this up. Did you guys know we released our podcast about four or five days short of the anniversary when Walt Disney World was announced to the general public. How about that? We were just short. So the whole pre-opening theme was was pretty close. Almost. But going back to U.S. Steel and contemporary, I, I read some really interesting information. I um, There's an article in, it was the New York Times magazine or Look magazine I was reading today. And um, it's written from an architect's point of view, but it goes into how successful or unsuccessful, we will reveal that next week, that whole plan was the chest of drawers, as JT calls it. Yeah. So, Built on site, driven by that's, trucks. That's right. So we'll, we'll talk about that next time. There's some great stuff on it. So, um, All right. So with that, we want to thank Pixel.com uh, for sponsoring us. Uh, as always, you can get all of your photos and memories restored there. Visit Pixel.com, um, or you can give them a call at 1-800-557-3508. They will go ahead and transfer your home movies, photos, videotapes, and slides. And uh, JT's had a few done. They've come out great. So, yeah. It's awesome. It's it's like uh, I watched them like an old VHS conversion done, and then I compared to what Pixel did, and it was just like night and day. Unbelievable stuff, they, what there they can go. do. And we also do have a, another sponsor, um, www.map.com. Uh, actually, if you click the link off our homepage on the right down the right-hand side, uh, they have actually recreated the Paul Hartley map. Uh, if you don't know what the Paul Hartley map is, if you look at it, you will certainly remember it. It's the most colorful and, and I don't want to call it cartoonish, but this this map used to hang on the walls inside the contemporary and, and the um, Polynesian in the guest rooms. Um, and it to, they now can command quite a bit of money if you get your hand on the original. The originals were painted on Masonite, but www.map.com has gone ahead and um, reproduced this and uh, is selling them in all different sizes of uh, printed on canvas and stretched canvas, but uh, use the link off our website on the right-hand side. Scroll down to www.map.com, click that link, and you'll get 10% off your order. Um, and finally, uh, I guess, guys, uh, let's see, uh, Twitter, everybody knows where to find us, at Retro. Uh, WDW. How, uh, JT, Brian, want to tell them where you guys are all at? You can find me at Brian P. Miles. That's Brian and Miles, both with an I. You can find me at Liquid Luau on Twitter. And if you like Disney audio, um, come check out all the stuff that I recorded at uh, kingdomofmemories.lakua.com. That's L A U. K-U-A dot com. You know how we're, we're going to have to get you like a vanity domain, just like how dot retro Disney world dot com to forward people to that one. <laughs> JT. That's I'm at, uh, at LS1 JT on Twitter. There we go. So, so if you want to see my randomness, Everybody go ahead. Can follow all of our uh, Disney charades through the month. So, with that, folks, we appreciate all of our listeners for listening. Again, you can find us on iTunes, um, Podbean, and for more information on our entire podcast, it's RetroDisneyWorld.com forward slash podcast. Appreciate everybody listening, and uh, hey, Brian, take us out. Until next time, 
kindly move all the way to the end of the aisle, filling in all available spaces. Thank you much. Perfect. <laughs> Have a great night, everyone. So it's home again and home again. America for me. My heart is turning home again. And there I long to be. In the land of youth and freedom beyond the ocean's bars, where the air is full of sunlight and the flag is full of stars. Oh, my God.